Good morning, everyone. How are you? Good. Hey, if you don't know me, my name is Winston. I'm the worship pastor here. And uh, I was wondering if we could do a little counseling sesh real quick, if that'd be okay with you. Um, you know, I, I've always thought that counseling isn't public enough, so I figured I could do like a little, uh, um, you know, and, and then like the whole one-on-one thing, I, I don't like the question-answer scenario, so I prefer to, when I do counseling, just one long monologue. And so if you could just uh, listen to me and not push back at all, that'd be great. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, so I have a problem, counselor. Um, I have this problem where sometimes I think I'm better than other people. Um, and as the good counselor you are, you would say, oh, well, bring me back to your childhood. Where did that all start? What's the story there? And so I would tell you this story. Um, Back in the day, Louisiana days, uh, elementary school, Louisiana days, elementary school, Louisiana days, lunch line, um, uh, way before like diet or kids' health was of any priority and the food was still really, really good. Um, Like I want you to think like um, Texas Roadhouse Rolls with every plate of food in this school, okay? Um, and then, but then also, do you remember those slim fast shakes? Those, the little diet shakes or whatever, the teachers would just drink one of those for lunch. And so you could see the good old food days coming to a rapid close. Um, and so you might feel the urgency with which I was trying to get through this line. Um, and I was behind the elementary school version of the texter in the drive-thru. Like, so um, I politely made him aware of the gap that he had formed between me and the food. Um, and so off we go, closing the gap. And then again, it happened, and a little less gently, I reminded him that gap is the uh, food gap, stop it. Um, and then at this moment, the teacher shouted out, keep your hands to yourself. How many have been told that? I'm with good company. Thank you. Um, Keep your hands to yourself. And so uh, hands in my pockets. Fine. Um, And then the gap formed again. And so to obey, um, I kept my hands in my pockets uh, because clearly my teacher did not like my hands-on approach to problem solving. So with hands in pockets, I... (laughs) <laughs> pooched my belly out and pushed him forward in line to close the gap. And uh, immediately I am whisked away to the office because my hands-off approach was not okay either. Um, it's, uh, it's kind of funny how you interpret those rules with the smell of Texas Roadhouse rolls wafting through the air. But anyway, I'm, I'm whisked away to the office and my parents are actually called. Um, and I don't remember if my parents had to come to the school or... Uh, I don't know, but, but I remember being at home and uh, expecting to be in a ton of trouble. And for whatever reason, my parents were actually more angry with my teacher. And I'm not really sure why. Maybe, maybe they didn't like being called out of work for something that they didn't deem to be that big of a deal. He technically obeyed you. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, but, but, uh, but what I think happened to me in that moment was this little seed was planted in my little elementary school mind that 
sometimes those who are in charge of me aren't always right. And my parents had obviously, probably, tried the roles too and were taking my side. <laughs> um, and so I had, I was, I was, um, I felt validated in the wrong that I did. I was, my uh, choices were better than my teachers, and uh, clearly the guy in front of me was in the wrong. And that's just how my elementary school mind interpreted that little interaction. And it would be great if that mindset of maybe I'm better than my superiors, maybe I'm better than my peers because my um, my opinion definitely was at the time. Uh, and it would be great if that stayed in the cafeteria, but it followed me out. It matured with me, and it influenced a lot of, uh, maybe even my character, just thinking that I might be better. And I think the, the place where I realized this um, sort of mindset manifesting itself was, I think I've told this story a few times, uh, but becoming a, a youth pastor at 17 and um, just added fuel to the fire of maybe I'm better than you because 17 is really young. Um, they didn't have anyone else, but I feel like I earned the position <laughs> of youth pastor at 17. And I remember I was uh, in, a, in a car, one of my students was... <laughs> was not having a great day. Some, some people say youth pastor and student. Others would say junior and sophomore in the car. <laughs> um, but, uh, but he wasn't having a great, a great day. And I, was ask, I asked him a question. I don't remember what the question was. But I asked him a question, and uh, I got nothing from him. So I gave him a little space, asked the question again. And then uh, very boldly and honestly, he finally spoke up. And he said, you know, you do this a lot. You ask me a question, and then no matter my answer, it always seems like you are asking the question so you can tell me your own thoughts. So why don't we just skip to that part? I'm like, Bleh. ouch. Man, I felt embarrassed. I felt so ashamed. And then I think, I think what I realized is I did that because I thought my opinion was better. I'm the 17-year-old youth pastor, and you're just, you're like a kid, a 16-year-old. <laughs> and so obviously, you know, they thought that I'm better than you, and so let me advise you. And I, I think, you know, it's one thing to know that this sort of wickedness or whatever you want to call it, this I'm betterness in us, uh, it's great if it stays there, but... The moment that the internal grossness is visible on the external, man, that starts to change. And so, I don't know, maybe, maybe for you, um, there's these, you, maybe you had this resolve that you weren't going to be like your dad, and then all of a sudden when you do something, or maybe you interact with your kids, you see, ugh, that's what he did. Or your mom, I don't want to be like her in these areas, and oh no, 
it comes out. Or maybe there's, there's parts of you that you wished would stay secret, but you see your kids take on those traits, and it's that similar sort of feeling where this, this, this internal thing now becomes external for the world to see affecting real people. And so there's my problem. Here's your $100, counselor. Thank you for <laughs> listening. Um, but, but I wonder today if you might see that same thing in yourself. Um, this week we're going to be in Ephesians 6, 1 through 9. And uh, and let me be, be honest with you, the answer to this problem of I might be better than someone else has been solved. We can skip ahead. If you have brunch that you need to get to, we'll get there real quick. The solution is to submit yourself. But if we rewind, my problem is I think I might be better. And so how will submitting myself to those I think I might be better than help me at all? It's actually really frustrating. It kind of feels like I'm tapping out, like I'm giving up, like I'm letting the, the weaker or dumber person win. How does submitting myself solve any of my problems? I don't know if you've ever like uh, worked on something or built something and it didn't turn out the way you wanted it to do uh, or w- wanted it to turn out and like the, the encouragement you received was, oh, I'll do better next time. That, that's exactly what this, it doesn't help at all. If I know that I think I might be better, submitting doesn't feel like it helps me at all. And so what I'd like to do is kind of work through this together um, and maybe I could be, with trade spots, maybe I'll be your counselor for just a second. <laughs> um, but maybe you think in your life that you're better than your boss in some ways. Maybe you think you're better uh, or you might be better than your coworkers or the people you go to school with or, um, or maybe you know better than your parents. And so, I, I mean, I think that this is something that we all feel every now and then at some point in our life. And so before we jump into Ephesians 6, 1 through 9, I want to give a little bit of context to uh, the book. So we have been in Ephesians, if you don't know, uh, for the last uh, 10 years, and we finally got to Ephesians 6. (laughs) Um, And so something I sort of noticed about Ephesians um, was this theme. Ephesians has a few themes. Um, But one that really stood out to me is I noticed the word walk in Ephesians. And it's funny, if you look up the Greek word for walk, there's a few tools you could use to do this. But if you look up the word walk in the Greek and see where it shows up all throughout Ephesians and you read every verse that contains the word walk, it's like this great overview or a summary of Ephesians. And the word walk doesn't mean to walk, it means this is how, this word is how you conduct yourself, how to be. And so what Paul does is in this letter, it's a very encouraging letter, but the way he sets it up through like chapters one through three is kind of establishing who you are, what you have. I think the last time I talked on Ephesians three, we talked about this, um, uh, how great God is and how wealthy the riches of his glory and how we have access to that and how all of our bank accounts are full and we've been redeemed, we've been bought back from death into life and that we are all one family, we're all one, it's all good. And then the first time he says, 
So conduct yourself is chapter 4, verse 1, where he makes this transition from here's who you are to the practical of what it means in your life. So he says in 4.1, walk, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of chapters 1 through 3. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of this high calling that you already have. Now that you know who you are in Jesus, walk this way. And then what I think he does next, the next time it shows up, he he zooms in a little bit more. And I think in 5.2, he says, conduct yourself as Christ. So because of all these great things, walk worthy. Now let me zoom in a little bit more on what that means. Walk like Christ did. And Christ was sacrificial in the way that he lived. So walk that way. And then the last time that he mentions this word, conduct yourself in this book, is in 5.15. 5.15 through 21 is this one long Greek sentence. Um, and the, what he says here is um, uh, walk, conduct yourselves. And then at the very end of the sentence, he, uh, I, didn't, uh, I learned this, it's, so in Greek, um, this word, conduct yourself in this way, and then he focuses on submit, submit to each other. And this word submit in Greek is considered a participle, dependent on the verb. And so if you look at this one long sentence, it's basically saying, if you want to walk as wise, this is what Ephesians 5.15 says, if you want to walk, conduct yourselves as wise, not as unwise, then you will submit. This is how you walk out this walking is wise. And so I think, I think he zoomed in all the way here to submit is the way that we conduct ourselves because of this high calling. And so I think considering the sentence, we have to really know what walk is, check. It's how we conduct ourselves. And the second thing that would be really helpful to know is what it means to walk as wise. And um, in this context that he's using it, wise, the word wise could basically be understood as um, figure out the best plan and all of the best means to execute that plan and then do it. So that's what wisdom is in this sense. And Paul has already laid out the plan for us the plan, all through chapter four, he's like, we would be one, we would be one, we would be one, we are the body of Christ, let's be one, let's grow into maturity. But then the means to get to that excellent plan is submission to one another. And so, um, why tell a community who's already good at submitting to submit to one another? It's probably because they stunk at it. (laughs) They were not good at submitting to one another. In Rome, and the Roman kind of culture, which Ephesus was a part of, social hierarchy was celebrated. You had no question whether you were on the top of the food chain or the bottom of the food chain. Inequality was lovely and accepted. It held everything together and kept everybody in check. Imagine how that I think I might be better mindset was solidified every day for these people. I know that I'm better because of how I'm dressed and what I'm welcome to, how I'm spoken to, how it's very clear if I'm better or not. 
So Paul, in an effort, I think, to completely eradicate this idea that you are better than the next person, um, pushes into this idea of, well, submission would be the way to get rid of it. And these people need a lot of practice. And so who are they around most? Their family. (laughs) Their family. So let's focus in now on the household and how in the household we can have some practical advice or uh, practical practices on how to mutually submit to one another. And so last week we talked about husbands and wives and how practically they can mutually submit. The wife submits to the husband and the husband submits to the wife and how that would work. And today we're going to pick up in Ephesians 6, chapter 1. He's still talking about the household and how to submit to one another. Are we ready to go? Did I lose anybody? It's a monologue, okay? You can't tell me. (laughs) Um, All right, so let's read it through once, and then we'll break it down, okay? So um, 6.1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it would go well with you and that you would live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or free. Masters, do the same thing to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. So let's break this down a little bit. Let's go chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But what if your parent asks you to do something you don't want to do, though? (laughs) What about that? It is not natural to submit to authority. I've heard that um, obedience is sold separately when it comes to kids, (laughs) that this is something that you have to teach them. But the point that I think Paul is highlighting here is that God simply has a different way of ordering things, of us ordering ourselves, and it's against what's natural, the natural um, desire to go the other way when we are asked to obey. We don't want to submit, especially when we think we're right or when we think we're better. I think, uh, so the way this played out for me uh, is in high school, I think I still, you know, again, that seed of not honoring my um, teachers. Uh, I had a Spanish class where I got in trouble a lot for, um, for talking. And so this is like the second time I've been in trouble for talking, and so my dad uh, said, well, like we had these little planners, uh, little calendars for our school, and he said, every day, I want you to go to this teacher, and I want you to get her signature. I want her to sign off on you being good in that class. I'm like, are you kidding me? He goes, no. <laughs> okay. And so every day, I get the signature or whatever, and, uh, and it's been a few weeks where I'm getting the signature every day, and I, I haven't talked. I've gotten, you know, a 
wonderful string of signatures going. And so I'm like, yeah, it's not really that big of a deal anymore. And so I stopped getting the signatures. And then he asked, where's the signatures? I'm like, I learned. I'm not talking anymore. Obviously, I don't care. Get the signatures. I'm like, please. And so I remember this one day. Uh, I was sick, uh, and I literally couldn't, couldn't talk. And uh, I'm sitting in the class, quiet. And uh, after the class is over, I'll walk over to my Spanish teacher and uh, I'm like, hey, can I get the signature for today? <laughs> and uh, she goes, no, you talked almost all class. I'm like, I'm literally sick. How could I talk? And so um, I don't remember. I probably got in trouble or s- somehow. But, <laughs> but I think it is so um, frustrating to obey especially when you think you've learned your lesson or it's all over and you're, you're good. But we never want to obey when it's convenient for us. But I think Paul here is saying that God has a different way. I think where, where is it that you find it difficult to obey when it seems unjust or maybe you think you know better and then there's that wicked sort of like I'm better than you kind of mindset that comes back up And so if I was to summarize this section, I think Paul is saying that children obey your parents as they teach you the way of God, for he created us to be this way. But Paul continues, um, and he says in verse 2 that we should honor our father and our mother. This is the first commandment, he says, with a promise, that it would go well with you and that you would live long in the land. So not just obedience now, but now it's honor. And so the difference between obedience and honor, obedience is something that we do, but I want to argue that honor is something that we give. If you trace back the, 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 so he's quoting from Deuteronomy here. This is part of the Ten Commandments. If you trace this word all the way back to the Hebrew, this word actually means weight or weightiness. Honor means weight. And so uh, in that culture, if Uh, or even in this culture, it has these implications of like if gold is very valuable because it's heavy, that these people in our lives, we would give them weight. We would give them honor. Honor, unfortunately, is not always something that people earn, but it's something that we give them. In the context of children honoring your parents, this is something that we give our parents. We give our parents weight. And I think that another thing interesting here that he says is that this is the first commandment with a promise. And why would Paul, who argues basically against that we are no longer under this Mosaic covenant, highlight the fact that there is a promise, especially because the promise doesn't actually apply to the people he's talking to. As Christians, what land do we inherit? And what land do we live long in? No, we don't have land. He even specifies early in Ephesians that this is now a spiritual covenant or a spiritual blessing that we've inherited, what I think he's doing is highlighting the importance that God has had on this commandment since day one. This is how important it is to God that we would give weight to our parents and their influence in our life. It's not earned, but it's given. But then... Uh, So this is the way that submission plays itself out in children to their parents. But then Paul also addresses parents here in chapter, I keep saying chapter, not verse, verse four. 
He says fathers. And I, and I want you to know that this is, this is mothers too, actually. Uh, in Roman law, it was the father, by law, it was the father's responsibility in this culture to be uh, the ultimate decider for their children and their wife and uh, the health of the family and the education. This is why. So when Paul is writing this, the readers say, yeah, this is right. This is familiar with what I know. But it is not, as we'll read, not to provoke your children to anger or bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Man, mothers can do that too. Mothers bring their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord as well. But what I, what I want to highlight here uh, is not to provoke your children to anger. Uh, if you know that Colossians is also another uh, book of the Bible that is kind of written in step with Ephesians. They're almost like sister letters. Uh, it's one of four, uh, or, or Ephesians and Colossians are two of four, uh, called the prison epistles. Paul wrote these all about the same time. And Colossians walks in step with Ephesians. And when in Colossians, Paul gets to this place of um, fathers don't provoke your children, he says uh, a different Greek word, provoke. And the interchangeability of these words is kind of used often throughout the scripture, but basically it underscores the common theme of not causing emotional distress to your kids. Don't provoke them to anger here. And then in Colossians, it says, don't provoke them or cause them to lose heart. And I think um, kids push your buttons and you know how to push theirs. And he says, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. We, um, uh, I'm going to honor my dad real quick. We had, <laughs> we had a, uh, a lake house and walking out, um, uh, growing up and, and walking out to the dock, we would always go fish and there was no railing on the dock. And so I was always kind of afraid walking along the dock, trying not to fall in. Every now and then my dad would scoop me up and hang me out over the water and I'd freak out. Paul says, don't do that. You hear that, dad? Don't, no, <laughs> I don't think that's what he's talking about. Uh, but if I was to be serious for a second, I think as a parent, you know the thing to bring up to your kid, that thing that they did wrong. You know the very thing to bring up to cause them to lose heart. You know the very thing to remind them of, the very thing that they missed. He says, don't do that. Don't cause them to lose heart. Don't say those, you know, like the two or three words that you could say that would really ruin their day. And he says, avoid that. Don't do that. And this is how submission plays itself out in parents to children. Now, um, I don't have kids yet, so technically my kids have no problems at all. Um, and they're absolutely perfect. So from one parent to another... I just uh, think you should listen up to what I have to say. <laughs> um, but um, I did get a trusted, validated parent's uh, observations from this section of Ephesians 6. And I want to read them to you. There's seven observations, <laughs> three, uh, seven observations uh, that they make. And so um, I think this is pretty good. Um, one, he says, uh, to be trustworthy in like parents towards your children's, be trustworthy to meet their needs. And this is what it means by bring them up in the Lord. Number two, to get a spiritual and moral vision for your family. This defines what is of the Lord. 
Be suitably firm in disciplining disobedience. Give them solid instruction for God-centered living. And this one I like, this comes from Psalm 103, and I think this has to do with the button-pushing situation, but he says, know their frame, know their limits and their delights. And then two more, he says, aim at holiness, aim at holiness. And then lastly, he says, aim at joy as the opposite of causing them to lose heart or provoking them to anger. And um, I think for me, um, my, uh, just looking back at my parents, and they were Christians, and they raised me um, in the way of the Lord, I think. Um, and so when I look back, I think specifically of my dad. I remember this one time we're driving down the, the road, and he sees a guy walking, and, and he pulls off and, uh, and talks to the guy, and I'm sitting in the car, and then he gets back in. It's kind of quiet, and... We go back to the house and we clean the car out. And he says, hey, take, the, take our other car and you follow me. And so I followed him back to the same place where the guy was waiting for us and he gave him the car. And I think what this did for me was uh, man, it, it showed me the value of obeying God no matter what. It showed me how important listening to him is no matter what because my dad was, he felt like he heard God say to do it and so he did it. He called mom first to get her approval, but (laughs) he did it. And then he didn't buy anything nice after that. There was no ulterior motive. And then for my mom, um, man, I remember, uh, um, you know, I'm a, freshly better than you, youth pastor at 17. Um, and I'm, I remember I would sit in my spot on the love seat and she would have her spot on the couch and this is where we would kind of talk about uh, the Bible or what I was going through. And I remember this particular time I was wrestling with a, some scripture and just talking to her about the, what I was learning about it. And man, dead in my eyes, she says, oh, I just, I just love the way that you understand the Bible or you read it or you interpret it. And I'm sorry I'm getting emotional right now, but, but this is what happens, I think, when you raise your kids in the way of the Lord, that it affects them so much that the, when I look back at these moments with my parents, these were my building blocks for my faith. So do not give up with your kids. Do not give up in raising them in the way of the Lord. And if you are single um, with kids, and maybe there, there, maybe there is a father figure in the home, and, and he doesn't know how, or he is anti-spiritual direction, just know that the command is not to be married, but the command, the encouragement, is to raise your children in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord, that this is something you can do. So for this next section here, um, I think I want to give a little context before we jump into it. Um, I think you might be troubled, like most, when you see uh, the word slave or bond servant or servant show up in the Bible. And it's easy maybe to think that the Bible is condoning slavery or or giving its check mark of approval. But what I want to 
uh, draw your attention to, and I think we're going to see it today, that Paul is speaking into a culture that already accepts this as the norm. So Paul's motivation is always to speak truth into the Christian community where they are at. So um, whether you're a master or a slave, Paul here is explaining the mutual submission within the already existing social structures. And so I want to take a careful look at how he does this. And, uh, and honestly, when I get, like, getting to this part, um, this, this is the part as I was studying that actually struck me most, being able to place myself as best I could in the shoes of a slave or the shoes of a master. Um, and so this, this section speaks pretty loudly to me. So verse 5, he says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. So how do you think a slave might struggle with submission? I think the same commands over and over and over again, day in and day out, would get rough. Not only the fact that, that you are not even your own property, your master owns you, and depending on how they feel that day, they can send you off or do harsher <laughs> servitude or, um, I mean, at, at, in, to, be, to be fair, in Rome at the time, I think there's a man named Seneca, and he wrote the ethic moral code on how to treat people, and he specifies that slaves should be treated as people, and that we should, it would look it, like, like it was looked down on to treat them shamefully, but that does not mean that it did not happen. Not to mention that you are in a, uh, uh, a culture where hierarchy is celebrated, that you are reminded day in and day out that you are the bottom. You could get your freedom, but that only gets you one rung up the ladder. But here Paul says to obey your master, and if you're wondering, the word obey is the same word he uses to say obey to like children to their fathers. And then he says, with fear and trembling. And uh, I want to highlight to you that this, this phrase, fear and trembling, is also used uh, when Paul talks about going to Corinth and how the Corinthian church, or, or how Paul was filled with fear and trembling while he was at this church, and how he was uh, thankful for their, uh, how they received uh, Titus, and they received Titus with fear and trembling. And so I think we can kind of look at this verse and it says bond servants obey your earthly masters with deep sincerity. And he goes on to clarify this. Um, and some of your translations might say um, uh, serve them or obey them with fear and trembling in your heart. And this word is not in your heart as like they hide it or they only do it on the inside. I'm going to obey in my mind, but not on the outside. This is with all sincerity, with wholeheartedness. And he elaborates further on this. Verse 6, he says, not by the way of eye service, don't fake it, as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Obey as if you're serving Christ himself with this same level of sincerity. 
And this, he says, is the way that submission plays itself out in slaves to masters. And then what I think he does here is he starts to make a little bit of a turn. Verse 8, he says, Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or free. So basically, do this because they can never repay you. This kind of reminds me of Jesus' words. He says this in a few different ways. One of the examples he gives is, is don't sit at the head of the table when you're invited to a party. Sit at the side so that the host can bring you to honor. In, in, in the same way, he's saying, serve with your whole heart with all sincerity because they can never pay you back. You want to know who can? God himself. God himself. And then, this is the tough part for masters if you are the master. But I'm sure masters are really good at submitting their will. (laughs) Masters, he says, do the same to them. Do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he, who is their master is yours in heaven. And there is no partiality. This is a really wonderful word, basically meaning God sees no ranking classes. You are at the top and they are at the very bottom. God doesn't notice. So a frustrated master is probably one who would say, these belong to me and I submit to no one. And I think if I'm honest, I think my tendency as a master, maybe in my own life, over whatever I think I own, is to say that no one tells me what to do with what is mine, that this is my family, good luck telling me how to run it, This is my company. My father built it. I've earned this. And the only problem with that is God would tell you no. No. Not in my kingdom, it's not. In his kingdom, we are all submitted to him. One day we will see all knees will bow and we will realize that all of this, all of this, all of this is his. And we only think that we own it. We only think that we're better than some of it. So Paul here is saying to the master, hey, real quick, keep in mind that you are not their master. Keep in mind that their master is also yours. So now, in your life, I wonder, are you willing to submit to anyone you don't see worthy of your respect? Or, Um, Are you someone who, um, maybe you look at your life and you realize that uh, no one has actually ever been superior to you. I mean, they're my boss in title, but I blow holes in them behind their back and maybe to their face I uh, argue with their style of leadership all the time. 
Or do you ever think uh, you'll be able to really submit (laughs) to anyone fully? Or like me, has this maybe I'm better kind of mindset taken over a little too much? And Paul, I think, is making the argument. He says, here's why this is so important. The problem is you and me would all say that we submit to God. We're submitted to God. And here he argues that you think you are submitting to God but not to others. Impossible. Impossible. Not submitting to others is evidence that you are not submitting to God. And if you want to live as wise, not as unwise, if you want to have the best plan and the best means of accomplishing that plan, then this is how we do it. We mutually submit to one another. Our love for God is shown by our mutual submission, especially when it's to those that we deem as imperfect or not as good as us. But what if they're... <laughs> but, but what if I don't respect... What if they're not... We'll cover that next week. <laughs> when we find out who we should really be against. But generally, mutual submission is right. And uh, I think... Uh, I think of Jesus, actually, here. I think Paul did, too. Obviously, 5-2. Walk, conduct yourselves in the manner of Christ in the way that he lived a life sacrificially. Think about, with me, what Jesus himself was willing to submit himself to. Hebrews says that Jesus is now an empathetic high priest of ours who has gone through the very life that you and I have gone through. And we would look at his example and his life and what he chose to submit to, and we would say we're too good for it. That it's not worth submitting to for me. Um. I think some of you might remember uh, this, man, this, this, in my Christian walk, this is one of the verses that really uh, woke me up. Um, Jesus basically tells this parable of there's a, a rich master and um, there's a servant that owes him a million bucks. And the servant realizes, man, I, my grandkids won't be able to pay this off. And so what does he do? He goes to the master and pleads for forgiveness and the master forgives all of his debt. Amazing. But then the same servant who has forgiven this debt goes back and doesn't forgive one of his servants for 10 bucks. And Jesus says, what do you think the master did to that wicked servant? And then he finishes with, if you don't forgive others, your God in heaven won't forgive you. And I'm still waiting for the punchline, like, okay, what's this an example for? I think in the same way, God looks at us and says, we need to realize that we are all on an even playing field here, and who am I not to forgive you because of how much I've been forgiven of? And then I think Paul is bringing the same principle here. Who are you not to submit to one another when 
your example. God himself, from the comfort of heaven, decides to be a baby, roll around in the dirt with some of the most uh, unruly people. Oh, yeah, and then he died. He submitted himself to death. Isaiah says that though he was God, he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped. And we would say, but I'm, I think I'm a little better than that. The only problem, though, is that doesn't work in his kingdom because this is his, after all. And so the take-home for today is our submission to God actually works itself out in our submission to one another. And here's the thing. Submission is not actually a tap-out. Do you think as Jesus walked his life here on earth, he was tapping out and giving up because they were too strong for him? The heart of the one submitting says, you cannot take from me what I give to you willingly. And then the heart of the one being submitted to, because if we're submitting to one another, that's gonna happen. The one of the heart or the, the, the voice of the heart of the one who is being submitted to says, I won't take more from you than necessary. Seeing Jesus' example hopefully undoes submission feeling like a tap out, but actually something we willingly give to one another in the same way that we would give honor willingly. Or maybe hopefully this idea of submission now undoes the the. Um, uh, the feeling of like it's a lame solve to my feeling better than you sometimes problem. And I think when we look at Jesus, we see him willingly submit, willingly live out the life that he did as our example of how to live. And so let's submit ourselves to the same broken world and the same broken people that Jesus submitted himself to all for his glory. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, uh, this is not uh, easy, um, but God, we are so thankful for your example. God, I pray that we would be motivated to treat one another with this kind of mutual submission and respect and honor because you are worthy of it not because of the ones we submit to are worthy of it. Lord, I pray that you would help my friends um, be able to live in harmony and mutual submission with one another, to see your body grow in maturity and to be beautiful and presentable to you, God. We love you, and it's in your name. Amen.